Yeah, my migraine finally went away. That's good. There's nothing worse than a headache. That is my least favorite thing. I don't get them very often. Puking is my number one non-favorite thing to do. Yeah, it sucks. Or feeling nauseous. Puking, you feel better. Yeah, nauseous no, is the worst. Nausea sucks. Then headaches, like I'm out. You know, the the last time I ever remember, we went to Troy's conference. It was like one of the spooky. No, it was like one of the Dead of Winter things. Okay, it would have been like 2000. Whenever. Seven, 2008. Whatever. I remember we went, we, we, that's when you were still out on the west side of the state. And we went, I went out to your place and we drove to Decatur, Illinois. And we ate at that Greek restaurant the night before. And I remember we, we got back to Grand Haven. And the next morning I woke up and I just felt something wasn't right. I don't rarely ever get that feeling. And I remember driving back. That's when I had the old car. I remember driving back and it was like my body literally said, get off the road now. You need to get off the road now. And I started to sweat. My heart rate started to go up and I didn't make it. I, I pulled into a bank park, got off the freeway, pulled into some bank parking lot, got out and just started and puked all over the side of my car. Just ralphed everywhere. It was Ew. the worst nausea I've ever had in my life. I had to take the goddamn car. Did you get the flu or something? No, I got food poisoning. Oh, I guess I don't really remember. Yeah, I remember this. I got food poisoning because I was all I was damning the Well, and food restaurant. poisoning, hey, that's number three because that nothing sucks. sucks more than getting sick on food that you love. Yeah. And then yeah, it messes you up. And then you, you never want to eat You don't like, oh, I don't want to eat that again. I don't like, want to eat that again. Like I'm the time you it. bought manager special oh, Jesus sushi. <laughs> You keep hearing the manager special. And I'm sushi, scarred because you just brought story. up that five dollar package at the store the other day, and I'm like, "What's the due date on that?" Fine. No Why is there a that, discount yeah. on it that? It was great, and there was not a. Thing I don't wrong want manager special sushi. There was not a thing wrong with it. it was well, great. okay, but I think the problem is, is you have to. You I have to take, eat. You have to eat the manager special sushi immediately, night, like um, like a nanosecond after yeah, you get out of the yeah, grocery yeah, store. Yeah, like in the car while you're sit. driving home. Don't let it sit. Don't man. let it sit. And I think you had it sitting a bit. That yeah, that story sucked. I ended you up know what? To drive. You know, and you know what's sitting next to me? Yeah, hang on. I had to. I just let me finish this. I had to drive oh, my car into the car people. wash. After that, these poor people looked at me. Ugh. I remember the guy looked at me. I, I I probably was so green around the gills. I was probably so pale. And he and he, I remember he pipe pulled and I'm like. I'm really sorry, man. You just you just tell me what the price is and spray this thing down. The guy looked at me. He's like, "You're having a worse day than I am, man." He's tell you what, it's on the house. <laughs> he, he gave you a free car. He, he gave wash. me a free car wash. He rinsed the car off and he sent me through the car wash. I'm like, "Thank you, man." He, I was ready to pay for it, but he's like, "He's like, he looks like you're having." I go, "I'm just trying to get." I was like, "I think I was in Lansing, which is about an hour away from where I lived." Uh, he's, I'm like, he's like, "How far do you have to go?" I'm like, I got another hour to get home, man. I just didn't want to drive the car like this. He's like. There you go, man. We hmm. got you, brother. So, yeah. Tip tip of the hat to my man at the car wash from like 12 um, years ago. Yeah. So, anyways, yeah. What's the big news we have yeah. this week, Amber? Let's uh, hear all about this. Sitting by my feet is a cute little senior citizen kitty that we adopted. Yeah. What's her name? Her, well, her name's Jenny. Her name is Jenna. I don't like Jenna. that. Jenna. I don't like that name. She, that's the name she came with. And she was adopted. Do we know if she's a senior I, citizen cat? Well, the vet said that they... Someone said that they the vet thought she was ten, mm -hmm. but the person who was helping take care of her what thinks she's more like twelve. Okay, I can tell she's got something up with her back legs. Like the doctor suggested arthritis, yeah, and maybe some glucosamine kitty chews or something to to give her. But um, she's not super young. I can she doesn't 
dash up the stairs. I have no, not she, seen her jump up on one thing. No, she's definitely uh, she's a senior, and I think yeah. it's really cool because I've I've known a few people that have adopted senior pets, and I think that's the nicest thing you can do because when you go into pet stores and you see an animal there that's 12 years old or something, you're like, no kid is going to come in here looking for a pet and say, Mom, I want that 12-year-old cat. And yeah, they want something that's going to run around and do crazy yeah, shit. Yeah, they want a kitten, and I love kittens. But yeah. this – Scott's never had a cat. No, this is my first cat And experience. so I think this is a good starter. Al- this is I, a good starter cat. Well, that's what I'm <laughs> telling people. I hate to say – I mean, I don't know if we'll have another cat after this. Who knows? Uh, what I told people like at work today, I'm like, this is great. This is a great starter thing for me, at least with cats, because um, story goes, the her previous human – well, she was 101 years old, and Her she died. Her previous human. She yeah. died. Her name was Virginia, and she passed on, unfortunately. And this was her cat. Jenny was her cat. But she only had her for a year and a half. Yeah. Because she was also given up by her other family, because I, I guess they moved out of the country or something. That's what the shelter told them. Fucking assholes. Well. They're fucking assholes. It's an asshole thing to do. I don't care. Wait, if you're moving out of the country, what are you going to do? I mean, you Take your cat. Okay, but what if you're going somewhere where you can't take your cat? I, mean, I don't care. You happens. don't move. You take care of that animal. That's your priority uh, right there. Oh, well, sometimes life doesn't work out that this way. This house has turned into Mackinac Island. The cats come first, always. On Mackinac Island, the horses come first. Here, Jenny comes first. Oh, my God. Well, yeah, we... Yeah, so we... Amber sent the text with the googly eyes saying, Oh, she just lost her she, human, Scott. She needs a home. She needs we a home. We have to give her a home. And I never thought I was honestly going to have a pet after Astrid passed away a couple months ago or he had or she she passed on uh, that was a snake yeah but that was still my baby though. i know but she's it's still totally a most special thing in the world to me type of thing uh but i saw pictures of jenna here Jenny. which will we'll, we'll, she'll have to get okay jenny will be her formal name out of respect to virginia but she's got to get a nickname and she's really fat which hopefully she'll lose some weight because she's going upstairs now than she never had she's to. She's working out a little bit. Yeah, she's working out. She's got a belly she's on the her. Weights. She's got a belly on her. She's, got, she's but, a bit of a, bit of a uh, chubber. So I was calling her Chunkers. Chunkers? Chunkers. Chunkers. So, yeah, we're, we'll get some pictures up here of our our new roommate. And this is not our cat. She don't belong to us as much as we don't belong to her. And that's how I think everybody should view pets or animals if they're living with you, they're companions. And this is her home, too, that we've opened up. And she's free to roam anywhere she wants. And everything is going to be nice for her. I'm really, really excited to with this adventure we're going to have with Jenny here. I'm really... Yeah. Honestly, I, so, I teared up last night and you fucking laughed at me, you dick. I didn't know what your face was doing. I seriously didn't. We're watching a movie. I thought you were being, like, joking, and all of a sudden your face got weird, and I'm like, wait, what are you doing? She was awesome. I started petting her, and she started to purr, and it just kind of choked me up, and I started to cry I didn't know. I thought you were, like, joking, so I, I was, was like, well, serious, do I need to pet you, too? bastard. Well, I didn't know what was going on. You're evil. You're fucking evil. evil. <laughs> Not evil. I didn't know what was happening. Take my emotions and just shit at them and stomp on them and burn them and do whatever else you want to do. No, no, no. She's um, really a sweet cat. And like, uh, like I was saying, I'd like to. Um, we'll we'll put some put a we put a picture of her up. Uh, I put one up last night. Well, if you follow Scott on social media, well, we'll maybe we'll put some stuff up on the ghostly talk. I don't page post today. stuff on mine because I hate social media. Uh, or maybe we'll do a little posting. Maybe we should do a, we'll do a little post on the website too for Jenny. 
Sure. We'll take some pictures of Jenny and we'll put her up. Maybe not with the post for this show, but we'll do something else after that. I don't know. Something like that. But you guys, we want everybody to meet Jenny. Uh, I'm really excited that she's. Chunkers. Yeah, Chunkers. <laughs> Chunky Jenny. Chunkers. Chunkers. <laughs> We're really excited to have her in our family now. She's uh, she, And she's sitting right here. She's sitting in her little bed while we're doing the show. Is she? I can't see her. What? What? What was that? Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. We're just so excited about our cat now. I know. Well, so we had a guest on. We did have a guest. That's okay. And, let's let's and, talk and about the this. guest is Lee Austin. Yeah. Um. And I highly, highly, highly recommend you put your beliefs aside and listen to the entire episode. Please. Please. From the please moment you hear the term flat Earth, do not. Don't Hit freak stop out and freak out and go. Oh, ghostly talker, a bunch of flat earthers now. No, <laughs> no. Listen here. Here's the deal, okay? It's about. I, I, it's about just. This is the deal. If you consider whatever, yourself I, an open-minded person, you better be prepared to go to long haul. Yeah. And not be open-minded to only things you agree with. You better be open-minded to everything, okay? And this is what we got into with Lee Austin. Lee Austin is an American broadcaster known for his alternative talk show, Outcast Radio pushing the existential envelope with topics including theology, metaphysics, and conspiracy theories, Lee's show flourished as a late-night favorite for those in search of the truth. Born in Boston, Lee moved to Los Angeles in his early 20s to pursue a career as a stand-up comedian. With the, entertaining, with the entertainment bug firmly planted, Lee found his calling in radio. For over 30 years, he crisscrossed the country as a talk show host, disc jockey, copywriter, and program directory for numerous radio stations. In 2017, he wrote Morning Star's Tale, a sci-fi novella covering many of the topics discussed on Outcast Radio. And this show is going to cover many of those topics also. So guys, we want you to listen to this show with an open mind, and we hope you enjoy our discussion with Lee Austin. Star's Tale. Uh, you know, I in prep for this, I you know, I always check things out, and I found this interesting. I found it, you know, some different ideas here, and this is really why I wanted to talk to you too about this. But I guess just to get us going here with this, uh, why did you write Morning Star's Tale? I mean, and I guess if you, I mean, we don't want to, we don't want to spoil it for everybody, but I guess if we could talk about some of the, some of what, about like what it is about, that'd be cool too. Uh, why'd you write this though well, to start with? Well, probably the best way to summarize it, I'll just read the preface. It's only like four sentences. It says yeah. recently the library, which is another name for Lucifer, mm -hmm. disclosed the mysteries of his occultic kingdom, including the physical and spiritual laws that govern the universe. Knowing the vast majority of humans would reject his uncomfortable truth. The father of lies proceeded to write a book revealing the hidden secrets of antiquity. 
When asked about his motivation for such an endeavor, Lucifer scornfully laughed and replied, it was an experiment for his own twisted amusement. And as he predicted, Morningstar's tale was met with universal scorn, ridicule, and derision, dismissed as the rantings of a madman. Ironically, Lucifer's only honest revelation was relegated to the dustbin of failed novellas. Morningstar, which is another name for Lucifer, mm-hmm. was delighted. And that's what it is. Uh, the, the truths that I, I think I've come across are so outrageous, I didn't want to be responsible for presenting them. And I thought, I've got to pawn this off on someone who's very arrogant and uh, charismatic and a pathological liar. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and I found my man. <laughs> you know, and we have to point out too, Morningstar's Tale. This is this is a work of fiction, basically, but it's based on uh, you know a lot of because you've done radio for many many years, uh, and this is based on a lot of stuff that you you've ex- you know stuff you were exposed to in radio. Am I correct? You are correct. I started my first conspiracy radio show back in 2007. I was working for a radio station, uh, 92.3 The Eagle in Livingston, Texas, just okay. outside of. Uh, Houston. Yeah. I did that for six years. Then I did a national show for a couple of years, started talking about the flat earth. And like Lucifer, I was dismissed. And that led to the writing of the book, which took about a year. Okay. And so I guess according to the, the story, according to Morningstar, I mean, you know, and yeah, we should really, I don't think a lot of people know that name. I do because I, I've been exposing myself to you know, stuff on the darker side for many years. And yeah, when we say Morningstar, because I have the feeling we're going to be saying that term a lot during this show, uh, it, it we're referring to Lucifer. You've already said it one time, Lee, but I want to make sure that people, it's very clear, that's what we're referring to is Lucifer, okay? Yeah, and just so people understand, yeah. the first star to appear on the uh, eastern horizon in the morning typically is Venus the morning star another name for lucifer and it actually has been used for the son of god too so some people do get it confused but i thought if i came out and called it lucifer's tale uh, that name is so well worn into the ground and even light bearer but a lot of folks are not familiar that morning star is just another name for lucifer mm-hmm. exactly uh, now according to morning star and what does the flat earth and universe look like now? This, and this is obviously part of a part of the story here. Um, and that's kind of what we're talking about here is, you know, I guess if you can give us a, a description of what the flat earth and universe look like. And it is the first paragraph of chapter two. Mm-hmm. He says the illusion of planet earth remains one of my favorite deceptions. Truth be told, and I rarely do. My earth is flat with a sea firmament dome above, a diamond-shaped underworld below. It is the floor of the universe and ground zero of the first heaven. My flat earth is the only physical plane in existence. So what he's saying is that, first of all, the earth is his. He has the deed to it. And it's flat. It's got a dome above it. And if you've ever seen the Truman Show, that's a good depiction of the way Lucifer sees the flat earth okay um and i know that's the one thing i pulled out uh as you read that was that lucifer is taking ownership of let's call it earth for right now i guess he's taking ownership of this physical plane am i correct and i agree with him it is his earth he is the temporary landlord uh back in the garden when adam and eve fell 
it was deeded back to him. So throughout the book, Lucifer and I agree on a lot of the subject matter. Let's just put it that way. Okay. Uh, it was a very strange experience because, you know, as a Christian, I was well-versed in the Bible. Mm -hmm. But then I read the Book of Enoch, and then I started reading a lot of occultic writings. Mm -hmm. I took all those books together, put them on a coffee table, and thought, how in the world do I put that together and narrate it? And I realized I was extremely underqualified, and that's when I handed it off to him. Yeah, well, and we're talking about some pretty heavy ideas here, <laughs> I have to say. I mean, we're talking about the essence of where we live, mm -hmm. why we live here, what we're made of. I mean, this book just isn't about the flat earth. In mm -hmm. the book, Morningstar tells you how you're built, the difference between a double helix and a triple helix DNA. He goes into alchemy, uh, Kabbalah. He goes into the dark arts, and he explains how his kingdom is structured, how the Ancient of Days kingdom is structured, and where all of this is going and where you're at and why you're here. And, and I don't know of anyone that's done it quite in that fashion. Well, when you're saying you turn this over to him, Lee, I have to, I mean, I have to ask, I mean, I, kind of knowing where, you, where, these, where these ideas are coming from, I guess I, I have to ask, like, the mechanical nature of that, when you're saying you turn this over to him, I mean, how, <laughs> I'm sorry if I sound kind of goofy with this, but how, I mean, was this channeled somehow or were these just things that you, that you've researched, Lee? I would say the channeling was from the ancient of days and the hardest part of writing this book was getting into the mindset of Lucifer, mm -hmm. who is the ancient of days, greatest creation. He is the archangel over all the musicians, and we know the story of how he fell. But to be able to think like him and to write like him and at the same time download what the Ancient of Days was trying to tell me mm -hmm. that he would say, I, I became, I don't want to say double-minded, but it was almost spiritual schizophrenia the entire time I was writing the book. It was a very difficult write. There were five rewrites the publisher had her say mm -hmm. in a rewrite and the book itself is only 80 pages long but every single page is just filled with meat it's basically how the universe is built why you're here and where it's all going and to do that in 80 pages and he wanted the ancient of days wanted every single word to count he made me cut fat time and time again so the book just comes out page one, it hits you upside the head, which is what he wanted it to do. Well, from, a, from an informational perspective, uh, some of my favorite books as far as, you know, intellectual intake have always been the ones that are that are shorter. And like you said, where, where you trim the fat, I think in a day and age like this, and I'm just speaking from, you know, making media itself, right? I think people are drawn towards the shorter, more, not, I shouldn't say abbreviated things, but things that are just more to the point cut the fat like you said i think that's why you know things like youtube are out there now and flourishing because you don't have to really spend like you know an hour and a half or two hours to get information you can usually get a lot of stuff in five or ten minute videos people have made right and that applies i think back to what you're saying with your with uh with morningstar's tale is if you know, something shorter like that people i think nowadays i think people are just you know and i there's a lot of 
I think I may have a lot of opinions on that, but I think people just don't have the time to sit down with a cup of tea and read a very long book anymore. I, I think some people still do, but I don't think a lot of people can now. Well, it's curious because I go to Barnes and Noble a lot. It's right down the street from where I live. Yeah. And I see all the authors uh, over the coffee shop area, Joyce, Faust, uh, you know, Salinger, I mean, whoever. Salinger yeah. actually wrote a, a short book. But I'm thinking, how many people go into a bookstore and are looking for Ulysses or War and Peace? And, and when I wrote this book, it's specifically targeting millennials who have no intention span at all. Yeah. The book's only 80 pages <laughs> long. And like you said, yes. basically what this book is, is YouTube on crack, uh, how the world is built, why it is, and who you are, and where it's going. Ah, okay. And I mean, you. I guess, yeah, you kind of laid it more on the line than I did. <laughs> it, but it's true. It's true. I think people's attention spans are much different than they were just 10, 15 years ago now. So uh, seeing a shorter book like this, it, it don't surprise me all that much. And it's, you know, it's kind of refreshing. It's the way media is being fed to people, I think. Information is being fed now. It's in smaller chunks. It isn't in long, gigantic novels that where, you know, and that's not saying that, you know, large, longer books, larger novels or whatever they may be are bad. Uh, I just think that people don't have, like we said, they don't have the attention span for it anymore. So no, and they want, they want you to get to the point, you know, mm -hmm. what, who are you, what are you trying to say? And, and are you telling me something I don't know? Because if I've already heard it, I, I don't want yeah. to listen to you. I don't want to waste my time. Well, you know, and that's the thing too, I guess, you know, from a life perspective, I know myself, and I don't, I'm sure you feel the same way too, Lee. I'm getting, to, I'm getting a little older now, and I find, and I find, I have this conversation more and more with people, and I say more and more, I'm like, my time is the most valuable commodity I have now. It seems like, and to actually get some time to just not do anything, it's very rare these days. Uh, but I don't. It's, it's when I am in those situations that we're talking about, and I find myself saying that a lot more now to people, like, get to the point. You don't need to dance around it. Just tell me what you need to tell me. You're wasting my time. <laughs> and I, I hate to sound so curt with people a lot of times, but it seems like it's more and more of a valuable commodity that uh, people have nowadays. We're very, I think we're moving faster and faster every day, and it's something I, I notice also, I think, just like you do too, Lee. Well, you're absolutely right. And and when I think of older people, when I was a younger person, I always wondered why they were like Kurt. And I realize it now because they know where this is going. They'll they'll run into someone yeah. who's boring and just goes on and on. And it's just, you know, when I was younger, I could listen to you, but I'm running out of time. Yeah. Time yeah. is the most valuable commodity. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't suffer fools well. And, and it's becoming a real problem with me. My heart is my, one of my biggest character defects is that I don't play well with others. And when I went to the gym today, uh, I actually worked out with a couple of guys, which I never do because we both approached the, the, the bench at the same time. Yeah. And he said, you can use it. And I said, no, you can use it. It was like that scene from the chipmunks. And, <laughs> and finally we said, you want to share it? And I thought, I haven't done that in a long time. Yeah. I'm going to be a nice person and share. But you're right. Uh, time is such a valuable commodity, yeah. and the clock is ticking. I just wanted to get this out so people could make up their own damn mind, like the uh, Oracle says in The Matrix. That's all this is. It's, it's a way of saying, hey, the world you've been spoon-fed is a lie. Here's another view. Read the book. 
see if you can get a conversation going. Let's talk about the flat earth thing again. I mean, and as we know, we both know the flat earth uh, idea is a kind of a hot topic now. There's a lot of debate on that. I know you've seen it. I know I've seen it also. Um, And it enrages people. It enrages people. People get really pissed off when they hear like flat earth and uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, just the idea of the flat, about flat earth. And this is, I mean, this is why I want to talk to you. I mean, I know this isn't the only thing there is uh, to Morningstar's tale. Uh, I guess, you know, the first thing I'd like to ask you is have, <laughs> as far as putting these ideas out there in, our, in, our, in, in the printed wordly, what's the response you've gotten from people on this? Have people really drilled into you and given you a hard time? Or has there been some kind of, uh, what I hope to have with you is, is a positive dialogue with this, right? So I'm wondering how, if you've received that, if you've had positive dialogue with people on this idea. I've gotten exactly what I've wanted. When I was doing my radio show, it was called Outcast Radio. Yeah. And I knew that the subject matter I was presenting at that time, it wasn't flat earth. It was going to be rejected by a lot of people, but there was going to be a small tribe that would be completely dialed into what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. And that's what I'm finding with the flat earth, ironically. The biggest pushback I'm getting is from the Christian community, and the most support I'm getting is from those that are on the fringes, those that are the uh, tattoo generation, more into the occult, the warlocks, the witches, uh, those that are searching. Mm-hmm. And those are the people I'm gravitating towards, those that attend New Age fairs, those that are searching for the answers to life and haven't put themselves in a box and said, you know what, this is the way it is, and this is the way it's going to be. So I've gotten a really good mix of uh, positive and incredibly uh, <laughs> a lot of hatred. Yeah. But I'm, I'm loving it because that's what I wanted. I wanted to get a visceral reaction. I had one this afternoon. I work next to a guy. I'm a logistics coordinator. Mm-hmm. And out of the blue, midway in the afternoon, because I gave him a copy of the book, he started arguing with me about the flat earth. <laughs> I mean, just out of nowhere. Yeah. And it was fun because I was saying to him what, I, what I'll say to you guys, mm-hmm. and I say to everybody, everyone who hears about flat earth for the first time is absolutely against it and thinks the presenter is insane. I did. And anyone who doesn't believe that way is probably not a sane individual. For you to just swallow the flat earth theory, hook, line, and sinker on the first meal, you've got something wrong with you. It took me over a year to a year and a half to even start believing that perhaps the earth is flat. So it's a process, and everybody goes through it. The first step is denial. Mm -hmm. We have all been indoctrinated with those globes. From the moment we walked into grammar school, we have been told we live on a globe, and I get it. It takes a long time to unwind all of that indoctrination. Yeah, uh, and I and I think that's where. I mean, it's obvious. I'm still on. I mean, I still just for our for, for, Jesus Christ. <laughs> this is a hard thing to get your head around, right? Listen, uh, the first step to recovery is to admit it. <laughs> now, you, I want you to say the following: My name is Scott, and I'm a globaholic. <laughs> globaholic. That's great. But no, you said this down. was a process, and you said the first pre- step of this process was denial, right? Uh, what are yeah. the other? I mean, I'm just curious what what maybe what you went through, like on your journey through this to where you are now. 
Well, I went through what my kids are going through, and they're not kids. They're one's 33 and the other one's 30. Mm -hmm. uh, they both believe now that we didn't go to the moon. That's a good first step. Mm -hmm. uh, for me, for me, it was a process. I, I haven't believed uh, the the belief that we went to the moon. To me, it's pure fiction. I, I'm a hundred percent on that. Okay. What what led me to the flat Earth was the sun and the moon. So many people in okay. this flat Earth community, like behind the curve and all that propaganda that's out there, mm -hmm. are arguing about curvature. For me, what I do is I tell people or I, I ask them a couple of questions and I'll ask you this yeah do you believe that we went to the moon I personally believe we went to the moon okay yeah. and, and Amber what, what do you think I I think we did but yet when presented out there when you hear about like Stanley Kubrick and all that kind of stuff sometimes yeah. you're like oh, okay well okay I don't know so I mean you it's I'm open to ideas See, the, the but problem, I, I yeah I'd like ahead. to think we went to the moon because that's pretty damn awesome the problem I have Lee with you know with both sides of it see my problem is I get and this goes back 20 years for me I think you know there's this term now that the younger people are using that's called woke like when you're woke now you're a woke person and mm -hmm. I remember that happening to me when I was probably the, these these young people now when I was their age also I started reading Noam Chomsky. I started, you know, just reading, you know, back in the old days of Alex Jones before, to me, he's kind of went off the deep end now. But when he was doing some serious media that I thought was very important, I was, I was studying some of his stuff. There was a lot of things I was diving into. And it all came down to, holy shit, I'm being fucking lied to, man. I'm being lied to on all fronts. And the problem I think that happened with that, though, was it made me completely paranoid and i remember sitting with a friend of mine after going through like this what i call this mental change and I, we were having breakfast and i said i, I feel different now i feel like I, I don't know if i'm smarter but i know i'm a hell of a lot more paranoid and she's like isn't that stressful is look isn't that hard doesn't that feel because she's already went through that stuff right so it was it was a rhetorical question she said to me, said to me and she said doesn't it isn't it stressful? Doesn't it feel doesn't it hurt? Right. And I found myself going through all that. And the point is, is that I have a problem believing anything now, to be honest with you, Lee. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm having a problem with both sides. So while I do believe that uh, we did go to the moon, there is that thing inside of me. And I hate trying to, you know, I hate, I'm, it sounds like I'm riding the fence here, but there is that doubt also that Amber, you know, Amber alluded to also about this. So it's hard for me to really go, did we actually go to the moon? I like to believe we did, like kind of like what Amber said, I think. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah. And you had mentioned Alex Jones. I was actually doing the national show uh, from Round Rock, which is just north of Austin, which is at where Alex is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, from 2014 to 2016, mm -hmm. and, and the one thing I notice about Alex is that I believe that he's sincere. But Solomon said to increase knowledge is to increase the stress, and you get to this point, and I, I went through this exact cycle that you've gone through. Yeah. Where I thought, okay, I know all this stuff, or I think I know all this stuff. And I feel so alone because people think I'm crazy and mm -hmm. I don't know who to share it with. And even when I share it, people think I'm nuts and I don't want to know anything else more because it's just 
it's not bringing me any peace. It's, yeah. it's bringing me nothing but stress. Stress. And so, yeah. What happened was after I got fired from this radio job, the national one, where I was doing nothing but conspiracies and always waiting for the other shoe to drop, it was as if I had this sense of relief and I could do what I wanted, which was write this book. And really, this is the end of it for me. I don't know if I'm going to really pursue conspiracies or there's a sequel to this book because for me, it sums up everything I've done. And it gives a good illustration of how we've all been lied to, mm-hmm. but is being presented to you by the father of lies. And he even tells you in the beginning that he's going to tell you the truth, and you're not going to believe what he has to say. And because of that, he's really going to tell you the truth. But because he's the father of lies, he's going to mix in some bravado like Trump. And it's kind of hard <laughs> to tell where the BS ends and the truth begins. And that's Part of the fun of reading the book. I didn't want it to be too serious. And I thought, with all these crazy people talking about Flat Earth now, why not have it narrated by the father of lies, which will screw with the reader's head even more than it's already being screwed with telling them that you think the Earth is flat. Well, and that's why fiction is a good medium to present wild and insane ideas in. Like, I guess, to, like Da Vinci Code. Remember when Da Vinci Code came out? And that oh, was yeah. such a mind-blowing concept for a lot of people who maybe didn't dig into... Um, Holy Grail type stories well, and, and stuff like that, but the, then all of a sudden, through one little novel, everyone's exploring like this whole different side story to the Bible, and that Jesus was, you know, possibly married, and oh my God, and mm. I think that's so. I mean, fiction is really powerful when it comes to obtuse, strange ideas, and to get them out there to a lot of people and allow them to wrap their minds around it in a different way. When I was writing this book initially, before I thought of having Lucifer narrated Morningstar, uh, I was very passive and almost timid writing it because I thought, oh, man, this is insane. I mean, Mm -hmm. in Chapter 2, he comes right out and says the reason that the Earth appears to be curved is because of fisheye lens. Yeah. So you mean to tell me every single ship that goes up that's showing curvature has a fisheye lens? And he's saying, yeah. When he says it... He says it with authority, bravado, and arrogance and disdain. Mm-hmm. All attributes I'm glad I don't have too much of, but he takes it over the top. And like you were saying, Amber, when it's presented in a fictional manner, and this is a sci-fi novella, he's able to get away with murder fictionally. Mm-hmm. Um, it's you, know, you mentioned the whole thing about fiction, Amber, mm-hmm. and yeah, that just happened to me this week. I... I banged through. I um, I don't know if you know you're familiar with the film uh, Annihilation, Lee. Uh, it was an Alex Garland film. Yeah. It blew my mind. I, it's one of my favorite movies in the last ten years. But I decided I wanted to read the read the. It's it's Jeff Vendemeer who wrote you know the, the the original story for this the novel. It's actually a three part series called the Southern Reach trilogy, and I hammered through that in like a week. It was just that good, right? And it's another one of those things that had me thinking because that book is it, it presents some very mind blowing topics, right? And it, it's the same thing that Amber said. It has me going down this rabbit hole of thinking about you know biology and the universe and how everything works. But that's a side note. That's just I think that's well, actually, it's a good note because in, in the movie Annihilation, especially yeah. what's happening is the process of terraforming, and, and yeah, that's yeah. what's also presented in Morningstar's tale. 
What okay. Lucifer says is that in the beginning, that is before man's beginning, and he disdainly refers to them as images because they're made in the ancient of days image, mm-hmm. he says the earth was his, and then once man came, it was taken from him, but then when man fell, it was given back to him. And he states in the book that earth was terraformed for man. It initially was his habitation, and then the ancient days terraformed it, just like in the book of, uh, of uh, uh, the movie Annihilation. Mm-hmm. He did the same thing. It was it, it is interesting. That's one of one of my favorite movies. I love that movie. I yeah. I not to get too freaked out, but yeah, I can watch that movie every day. You and, do, and I do. <laughs> well, you know, I it's find like some, it's like your bedtime story. I, I find something I, when it comes to movies and, and even stories of that sort. I find myself when I find something I really, really, really like. I will spend a lot of time with it like that because there's always something new you can learn about stories that rich and complex. And that's why I do that, I think. Uh, I've seen uh, Blade Runner 15 times. There you the last go. time I saw it was a week ago. There you go. I, I literally watched it again. Another fantastic movie. Now, we kind of went off the side here because you mentioned the sun and the moon. And I think that's we, we kind of we kind of went into the weeds for a second here. But I do want to go back to that. if That's cool, uh, Lee. Uh, how did the sun and the moon work in a flat Earth model like this? I, I'm really curious about that. To me, the the sun and the moon are the Rosetta Stone of the flat Earth. Most people that discuss flat Earth talk about curvature and they get into arguments about the horizon and all of this. Mm-hmm. But the the key to me is the moon and the sun. Um, first of all, the astrophysicist, the heliocentric model, which is that the Earth revolves around the Sun, as opposed to the geocentric model, where everything revolves around the Earth. Mm-hmm. In the heliocentric model, the astrophysicists tell us that the Moon is 400 times smaller than the Sun, and yet 400 times away from the Sun, and that's why the Sun and the Moon appear to be the same size in the sky. Okay. In the book of in the book of Enoch, which was thrown out of the Bible because it was so radical, but I believe it to be true, there's two books, one called The Secret of the Book of Enoch and then The Book of Enoch. But anyway, in the book of Enoch, it talks about the sun and the moon actually being the same size mm-hmm. and that the sun pours its light into the moon. And by that, it's saying that this, the moon projects its own unique cold light. We have been told in the heliocentric model that the sun reflects its light off of the earth, and that reflection projects itself onto the moon, and that the moon projects back to the earth. It's in a stationary position. Mm-hmm. In the book of Enoch, he's telling us that the sun and the moon are the same size, and that the sun pours its light into the moon over a 14-day period fully illuminates it, a full moon, and then over the next 14 days extinguishes it one fourteenth per day. When I read that, it was like a light literally went off, and it made perfect sense to me, because what I could never get a hold of is how is the moon and the sun, how can they be in the sky, the daytime sky at the same time, and the moon not be fully lit? You'll see it half lit, quarter lit three quarters. But when the sun is in the daytime sky and the moon is simultaneously in the daytime sky, the moon should be fully lit, but it is not. And the reason I believe it is not is that it's actually projecting its own type of unique light. Um, In the book, it actually devotes a whole chapter to the hollow moon. Uh, Lucifer 
doesn't believe, and neither do I, that the moon is what you think it is. He says, truth be told, the moon is a hollow, flat, translucent, crystalline, self-illuminating disk, one that generates a unique type of cold light. During a full moon cycle, the luminaries, which are the stars and planets, can be seen shining through the moon's disk, confirming its translucent composition. So is this, I mean, is this a solid object thing? Because you're saying it's a translucent disk. So, I mean, I guess the, that I have to ask that. Is, is it a solid object or is it just this translucent disk? I mean, does it have any type of weight to it at all? I mean, I... I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't think we landed on the moon because you can't. Well, it's that, not but, a question of engineering. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and maybe I should answer that other question before we get to it. Uh, you had asked what the moon and sun look like in the flat Earth model. Yeah. Okay, so just imagine a Frisbee placed on a flat disc, uh, on a flat desk top. Mm-hmm. So you've got a Frisbee on a desk. Uh, the sun and the moon rotate around the flat Earth. Okay. The sun would go around one cycle, 24 hours, and the moon's a little bit slower. What happens is that over a 30-day period, the sun actually laps the moon one time. Uh, so the moon is always following the sun, but they're both under the sea firmament dome. In the book of Enoch, he talks about angels taking him up to the dome, the sea firmament dome. And when he got there, he said he saw a much larger sea, greater than any sea on the earth. So what Enoch is saying is that on the other side of the dome is a huge ocean. Okay. And we live under an ocean. For me, the hardest part to get into my hard drive is the fact that we live under a huge ocean, that this is an enclosed system. I believe it, but even as I'm saying it right now, it's still hard to believe, but I do believe it. So to start off here, you're saying that the sun and the moon more or less just rotate around this flat disk that we call our planet, correct? I just want to make sure correct. I'm getting that. I want to make sure yeah. I understand this. Um, yeah. And, and you, you said that the, the sun moves slower than the moon, correct? Actually, the sun moves quicker than the moon. That's the why moon I'm is a little you. bit slower. It takes a uh, – the sun moves – if you want to get technical, the sun moves 15 degrees uh, per hour. So in a 24-hour period, you multiply – and I think I got my math right here. If, if you multiply 24 times 15, you get 360 degrees. So during a 24-hour cycle – the sun moves 15 degrees per hour and completes a 360-degree circle. The moon moves at 12 degrees per hour and thus does not complete a full cycle every day. And so what happens over a period of time is that the sun begins to lap the moon. And that's why when you wake up, sometimes you don't know where the moon is in relation to the sun because it's moving at a different speed. Okay. All right. That, That makes sense. So based on that then, because Antarctica, <laughs> thinking about this idea now, is there, well, I think I may know the answer to this, but I'm just going to ask you flat out. Is there an Antarctica? That's pretty funny. You said, I'm going to ask you flat out. You're already converting. Get him the robe and the purple sneakers. He's Uh-oh. on his way. Uh, is there an Antarctica? No. There's not a continent, but there is an Antarctica. It's a 60,000-mile 
circle. It's an ice wall containing all of the oceans of the world. And beyond it, I have no idea. I have no idea. You know, Admiral Byrd, when he went down there in 1957, 58, he talked about a world that transcended that ice wall, that there was some other kind of world beyond it. And isn't it interesting that the only subject the world can agree on is this Antarctic Treaty. Since 1958, it's been illegal to fly over Antarctica. And my question is, why? If you want to really get to the heart of it, you could dispel this flat versus round idea just by flying a jet over the South Pole and coming up on the other side. Have your flight originate in Auckland and come up in Johannesburg. Fly over the South Pole. But nobody can because, although the and I'll read from the book, although the South Pole doesn't exist, there is an Antarctica, just not in the heliocentric sense. Mm-hmm. Antarctica's inner ocean frozen border wall bulkhead is over 200 feet high, a 360-degree circumference covering 60,000 miles and containing the oceans of my flat Earth. At the end of Antarctica's vast interior territory, the flat Earth plane intersects the precipice of the sea firmament dome, which is also where the first heaven of the third dimension ends and the second heaven of the fourth dimension begins. And at this point, everyone can light up their bong. (laughs) Because that is typical of the way the book was written. It took me, like I said, five revisions to get this down the way he wanted me to get it down. And, and even reading that paragraph boggles my mind because there's just so much meat in it. Mm-hmm. You could spend an hour dissecting it. I'm looking at, uh, as we're talking, I'm working with you on this, and I'm looking at some models here and some pictures from other stuff. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm, it's, I'm trying to get my head around this also. Uh, it's a lot to take on. I've never been exposed to this. Go ahead, Amber. Well, Who there's also, I, just, I was just looking at an article from Live Science that says in 2020, flat earthers will have a cruise and they're going to sail to Antarctica to the ice wall yeah. at the planet's edge. Okay. So in 2000. That's not, but, that's, but see, that's not the planet's edge. Here's the problem they fly to Antarctica, Qantas Airlines will fly you to Antarctica. But what they do is they take you to that wall and they go in a few miles. It's like this guy who claimed he walked to the South Pole. He just walked a few miles and then took a right. No one has ever gone to the actual South Pole because it doesn't exist. They'll take you to the ice wall and a little bit further beyond. But once you get to beyond, you're not allowed to go any further. It is a treaty that is being enforced militarily because they know there's no Antarctica. My goodness. Well, there's always been drama with Antarctica. I mean, other than flat Earth, you got hollow Earth and that there's an opening into the hollow Earth. There's that idea, too. You got the Nazis setting up camp in Antarctica. You got aliens living under the ice of Antarctica. You know, there's all kinds of, uh, you know, ideas about Antarctica. What was that? Well, it, it... and if you really want to boggle your mind, uh, Lucifer writes in Morningstar's tale, located in the center of the flat Earth, the North Pole's massive hole produces a vacuum and vortex rings that extends from the surface of the flat Earth into the black cube of hell. So, so okay. while you're trying to digest Antarctica, he comes back in the next paragraph 
and twist your mind even further. And that's why this book has to be read so slow and frequently mm-hmm. because you won't get it the first or third time. You mentioned the 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 double and triple helix DNA strand a little while ago. We kind of touched on it, right? Um, could you could we flesh that out though some more? The difference between the double and triple helix DNA strand. Can we talk about that a bit? Sure. This is chapter five. It's called the glue of you. And you know I've been alluding to the fact that some of this I believe was downloaded to me from the ancient of days mm-hmm. as I was trying to write as Lucifer. It was very disconcerting. But this chapter, more than any other chapter in the book, I don't know how it came in into being. I, I really don't. And that's about as strange as I could get. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, every human being, and, and I'm, I'm going to paraphrase here and just, instead of just reading from the book. I would rather just put it in my words and sure. kind of take from it. Uh, every human being has a double helix DNA molecule. That's a given. Mm-hmm. And we've got this chemical alphabet of A, C, T, and G. Did you see... Um, Blade Runner 2049. Oh, yeah, we both saw it. You remember that scene where he was uh, uh, looking for his duplicate, and he had his uh, uh, holograph girlfriend, and they were talking about how every human is A, C, T, and G? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so in different combinations, basically, these letters build and provide the fuel to create, change, and grow. DNA is spiritual technology. We always think of it as physical technology, but it's in fact physical and spiritual. It transforms dust into life. RNA is the invisible glue or bond which empowers DNA to upload its genetic code in the form of tangible matter, ultimately manifesting in biology in the third dimension of the first heaven. So we live in a box of space and time. Mm-hmm. We are limited. And Einstein said that once you exceed the speed of light, you become immortal because death can't catch up with you because you've exceeded the paradigm of time. You've exceeded the box of space and time. 95% of the remaining DNA is invisible, hyperdimensional, shifting portal technology penetrating the other nine dimensions of heaven or heavens. Before I wrote this book, I had a typical Christian worldview of heavens. You had, you had the first heaven, which is where we live, the second heaven, which is outer space, and the third heaven, which is where the Ancient of Days lives. I now believe there are actually ten dimensions, or ten heavens. And again, this is illuminated in the book of Enoch. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had a triple helix DNA. They were able to communicate with the Ancient of Days telepathically, and they were able to travel all ten dimensions or all ten heavens. And it all has to do with string theory and vibrations, which also ties into Tesla. Tesla said if you can tap into the ether of the seventh or the second heaven, you can actually have an unlimited power source. And he also talked about string theory, and string theory is not a theory. We are all vibrations. We are tangible results of vibrations. Yeah, and that's one thing we hear a lot about. There's been a, a lot of ideas that have been that I've been presented, at least, or I've looked into about the different dimensions of existence. And there's obviously a lot of ways to look at it, but it, 
it seems to revolve around the same thing that you're saying, though, too, is it's this vibration. It's this reverberation, more or less. Uh, and that's very peculiar because that's one of the, one of the it's one of the threads I see that go through this idea of these of different dimensions and different planes of existence. Let's say whether you want to call it heaven or you, whether you want to call it hell or call it blue or green or green or pink or whatever you want to call it. Um, it seems to be revolved around this idea of vibration. Well, think about your cell phone. Nobody really knows how it works. You can explain cell towers and all that, mm -hmm. but somehow that signal gets there and there's somebody on the other line. Here's one of the best uh, descriptions I think you can get. It was from uh, Lucifer, and it's in Chapter 5, and, and I'll just read this briefly. Mm -hmm. Lucifer Morningstar says, What you can't see, touch, hear, smell, or feel pales in reality to the multidimensional parallel universe existing outside the third-dimensional prison of space and time. The first heaven of the third dimension is a tangible demonstration of invisible vibrations. It's an infinitesimal component of a gigantic electric network built and governed by base foundations of tiny, super-symmetric vibrating strings. Superstring theory is not a theory. The universe is comprised of electromagnetic forces containing highly charged particles in a plasma conduit holding the luminaries, which are the stars and planets, in their mm -hmm. orbits. Everything animate and inanimate vibrates the corresponding harmonics. These subsequent frequencies result in the building blocks of light and dark matter, the latter composing 27% of the universe. So how I came up with that, I have no idea. <laughs> so no, it's fascinating. How I guess the thing I was thinking about as you were reading that is does everything living in this giant machine model that we're all a part of, I guess, do we all affect one another or do we all affect the universe? Is is the yes. do you follow what I'm saying? Yes. Yes. Do you remember the movie since you're a sci-fi guy, did you see the movie Lucy? Oh, no, I haven't. Sorry. Scar Scarlett Johansson. She basically obtains a singularity at the end, but she's, she's able to look at trees and see their vibrations and their systemic building blocks. Mm -hmm. It was real interesting because that movie reflected a lot of what this book does. But in, in answer to your question, yeah, right now we can't because we only have a double helix yeah. DNA. Remember, the Ancient of Days with Adam and Eve, they had a triple helix DNA. Mm -hmm. You know, the 666 you hear about in the Bible, it's not the mark of the beast. It's, the, it's man. It's the number of man. Mm -hmm. And when man is two-thirds, he's incomplete. And we have a double helix, mm -hmm. which is two-thirds, which is 66.6%. So right now, man is incomplete since the fall. And, <coughs> and the whole deal with Lucifer is that he wants to upgrade human beings to reflect his image and to obtain a triple helix DNA reflecting his image, being able to telepathically communicate with him mm -hmm. and transcend the 10 dimensions in the multiverse. I got to ask this question, Lee. I am on medication. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I mean, and we're coming at this completely, you know, just all of our knobs are turned high noon on this thing, more or less. Uh, listening, taking this information in. But I have to ask, and this is, again, just to me as, a, as flat of a question as I can ask about this, 
where does God, and let's just assume that there is a heaven and there is an almighty, powerful being that we could call God. I guess, do you have any, any insight or thoughts or ideas on what God would have to say about everything that, that Lucifer's doing? Uh, or is this just, is this just Lucifer's own gig that God's removed from this? I mean, I'm, these may be some crazy questions. I'm sorry, but I'm very curious about that. There was a great scene in The Devil's Advocate with Al Pacino. Did you see that? Oh, one? I saw that. Yeah. He said, he's an absentee landlord. Yeah. And that's how a lot of people view God, as an absentee landlord. They, they look at this world, they see all the crime and all the corruption and man just doing awful things to his neighbor. Mm-hmm. And they wonder where God is in all of this. And to me, what it comes down to is free will. This book is a presentation of how I think perhaps some of the universe might actually look and it's presented by the world's history's most notorious liar. The whole purpose of the book is to get you to start thinking and to question the spoon-fed reality we've all been fed, like I said in the beginning of the interview. Yeah. And as far as where God is, I'm going to let you figure that one out. Okay. The one thing I don't – no, and I'm not saying you. Oh, okay. But the one thing I don't <laughs> like having done to me is somebody preaching to me yeah. and telling me what I need to believe. It was like the atheist I've been working with for two years. I told him today, you keep asking questions. Keep asking questions. I want you to disprove this. And he took that as a challenge because I said to him today, do you know that a NASA uh, a scientist said that uh, the reason we haven't gone back to the moon is because we destroyed all that technology? And, and he said, well, he misspoke. No, he didn't misspeak. That's what he said. Mm-hmm. And when you really look at the evidence and you work backwards – you begin to see the lies, and you have to take it step by step by step. And for me, it starts with the moon landing, that investigation. And then after that, you look at the moon and the sun. Mm. Why do they appear the same size? And when there's an eclipse, why does the moon fit perfectly over the sun? And when does the sun also pick, fit perfectly over the moon? Mm. Something's going on. Is it really true that the moon is 400 times further away from the sun, and that's why it appears to be the same size. The heliocentric model has a degree of faith that I just don't have, that we're spinning at 1,000 miles an hour, and that we're going around the sun at 66,000 miles an hour, and that the universe is expanding at a million miles an hour. I just don't have that kind of faith. Let me ask you one more thing. Who were the Nephilim? The Nephilim are the reason that the Ancient of Days flooded the earth. People have a real hard time with Old Testament God. I know I have in the past. Why would a loving God kill everyone? It sounds like a Metallica song. (laughs) Fake a death. Kill them all. (laughs) If you believe the story, it's pretty simple. It's in Genesis chapter 6, but in the book of Enoch, he really goes into details. Here's what happened. 200 angels come down to Mount Hermon, which is near the Lebanon-Syria-Israeli border. And they see women, and they get horny. By the way, I'm giving you the 2019 (laughs) translation. They see women, and they get horny. And it says in the book of Hebrews, 
uh, that you have, you know, there are times when you may entertain angels unaware. And what that means is that angels can take on the form of humans. Mm -hmm. So these angels come down to earth. They see these, they see these women and they get horny. They take on the form of men. They have sex with them and they create hybrids. Yeah. Uh, angels are, have a certain distinct body. Man has a certain distinct body. So what happens is when an angel has sex with a woman, it creates a hybrid, which is known as a Nephilim. Mm -hmm. The Nephilim are the giants that were roaming the earth and killing men. They were not only killing men, they were having sex with women and they were having sex with animals which led to the chimeras. When you think of satyrs and, and all of these uh, hybrid animals that are talked about in Greek mythology, mm -hmm. I don't believe that it's mythology at all. I believe that they actually had sex with animals. There's a great, and it's the only scripture I'll quote, it's Ezekiel 23.20, it says, There she lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys, and whose emissions were like those of horses. Huh. Something you'll hear Sunday morning in yeah. church. <laughs> yeah. So what happened was, this is my opinion, Lucifer decided that he thought one way to stop the Ancient of Days sending his son to redeem man was to corrupt the systemic DNA. And he would do that by having the dark angels come down, have sex with women, create a race of giants. This race of giants, according to the Book of Enoch, began to uh, <clears throat> have sex with women, animals, and they began to eat men. They ran out of food. They had a food shortage. Mm -hmm. And then the angels, the other angels, Michael, uh, Gabriel, and others, petitioned the Ancient of Days and said, what are you going to do about this? And he said, I'm going to flood the earth. And so what he did was he flooded the earth not only from below, but from above. And if you saw that movie, uh, Noah, with Russell Crowe. Yeah, Darren Aronofsky God, film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, what the Ancient of Days literally did was he opened up the sea firmament dome. And that ocean began to crash down at the same time that water came up from below the earth and killed everything on earth. A total, a total there, restart. I mean, that's basically what the idea was. That things had, it's, you know, it, it, it seems as if the story goes that things were just so screwed up. It just had to be, it, that's what the flood meant, was it just, we had to restart everything, wipe everything clean, and start afresh. You do wish sometimes when you look around at, like, crappy things going on, you're like, where's the reset button? Where's the reset button? Oh, yeah, every <laughs> 20, 30 times yeah. a day I yeah. feel that way. You know what I've been thinking a lot lately uh, is idiocracy. I was watching an interview with Mike Judge the other day, you know, the creator of Beavis and Butthead. Oh, and yeah. He wrote this movie called Idiocracy mm -hmm. when people were just going to get dumber and dumber. I think we're there. This smartphone technology has not made people smarter. It's made them stupider. Well, it's we, we get into this a lot. And the one thing I keep saying is people, we have a... Look, and it's only going to get, get we're going to get more. It's going to be faster. It's going to be more more sophisticated. I mean, I don't know when this is ever going to end if it ever ends. But where we are right now, we have all this amazing technology literally at our fingertips. I personally don't take that for granted. I, I don't know of many other people that that feel that way though, besides myself. I I am just blown away to this day by the fact that I have a device in my hand that 
any question I want to ask about life, about about technology. I mean, I had a shooting pain on the side of my my head earlier in my right temple, and I'm like, man, I I'm gonna Google that, and I got an idea of why did I had. It, did it tell you cancer or death? No, thank goodness okay. it didn't tell me that. But it, I was long story short, we were sawing some wood yesterday. I should have been wearing ear protection. And I wasn't, and my right ear got a little bit of hearing damage, I think. And it said if you have your, the pain in the side of your temple like that, it's because you were exposed to very loud sounds, and it'll go away, right? But I, I, that was just something I grabbed my phone in the middle of my bike ride and just looked that up. I think that idea is absolutely well, amazing, and that I, I can do that. Yeah, and I like cell phones because I'm a dork for learning. So, I like, right now I have spent almost 20 hours on a Spanish language app. Yeah, you've been, yeah, right? it's been driving so, me completely so for, crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm like a dork like that. A lot of people out there aren't going to use their phones for that purpose. They're not going to learn a foreign language. They're not going to look up cool crap on nationalgeo.com yeah, or anything yeah. like that. They're, it's just going to be surfing, a tool. They're surfing social media, yeah, arguing about whatever there yeah, is to argue yeah, about. in the comment section of somewhere and, and stuff like that. So on one hand, they're amazing, incredible little you know, and that's just one aspect of technology yeah. we're talking about. And, um, and then on the other hand, yeah, they can. What, what I think that my phone has done negatively towards me is it's caused me not to be as creative or to seek out other things. Like when I'm bored, I pick up the phone. When I didn't have a phone, I went and found something to do when I was younger. I picked up my drawing and I drew a picture or I went and played the piano or I went and hung out with someone. Yeah. So I, I don't know. There's that. That's to me. It's made me not as creative. Well, that's a really good point. I don't know how many times I've picked up a book and put it down in favor of the phone. Yep. And, yep. and just just the other day, I picked up a a couple novels by uh, Philip K. Dick, the guy who wrote, mm-hmm. you know, do, do androids dream of yep. electric sheep, Blade Runner, and I took them back to the library. I, I'm I'm subject to it, also. I, I love this technology, but it's a double-edged sword yep. because yeah. it consumes so much of your daily life that. It's almost like we all need to get into a 12-step program just to find some way to get a balance back because yeah. I don't have yeah. it myself. Well, it, and it's ironic we I'm, we say say this, and to people listening to the show, I know a lot of people probably listen to this show on their phones. But that, <laughs> so but it's that's ironic, a, that's you know? a good thing, though. Uh, oh, I hope it, hope it is. Well, it I mean, better be. You're to listening use, to our show. It's an to, excellent to thing. To use your phone to listen to all this music, apps, um, you know, like we've talked about on the show before that all these podcasts are nice, are cool, awesome, long-form discussion now. Um, yeah, and people yeah. are learning from that. I mean, you can just sit and you can put your phone anywhere and clean or do something and have it going in the background and be learning something new. Yeah, so that, that's, that's, a, that's a positive That's a use, positive thing. thing. But I think... This is the greatest innovation. In my opinion, what you're doing right now is the greatest innovation probably in the last five or seven years. The long-form podcast, because you're able to flesh out everything yeah i mean the conversation we're having we're going way down the rabbit hole blowing people's minds <laughs> and then we're coming back and we're talking about beavis and butthead right yeah that's yeah. the balance that's the balance of life you need that you need some sugar with the meat otherwise you're just going to choke no and i think that that's what we've i've been pushing for a long time and i that's why i've always fought for podcasts even in the old days when we were just doing things called internet radio it's something that we knew we don't have to be tied to anything. 
first off, we don't know what we didn't even know how to do radio, but what we're not being tied to a clock, a radio clock. You're not we didn't have any, a boss. Yeah, we didn't have a boss. We we still don't have a, a boss. station. We don't have anything. We just do this on our own, right? And yeah, that's the Sponsors. key to it. Yes, anything. <laughs> the whole key to it, though, Lee, is just like we were saying, it's a long form discussion. And I think those are the most important things. Uh, and that's what podcasts do for people. And I think, yeah, as far as going back to the technology route, that to me is a positive use of technology. Uh, I, I, it's a quote that I heard years ago from Jello Biafra, one of my favorite speakers. And he said, don't hate the media, become the media. And it's something we've kind of lived by for many years, that, that, that very idea. Yeah, it's very easy to, to, to beat up on, on national news or whatever you're watching. Then fine, do your own thing. Go out and do your own research. Don't hate the media, become the media. And I think that the technology is has been here for years to become the media. And I think a lot of people are becoming the media. I think it's fantastic. I do too. When the book was published and I started marketing podcasts, I was blown away at the number of popular and just the number of podcasts, period. Mm -hmm. The message is getting out there. And because of my background in radio, I've had such a bad experience with, uh, you know, the major radio corporations and what you can and can't say on the radio. Yeah. It's just so refreshing. And once you start doing this type of format, the long form podcast, yeah. you get spoiled and you won't want to do any other kind of communication. No, I could never imagine being like, and we've always called, consider ourselves amateurs at best at this. It's as simple as that. I could never imagine though, even as an amateur, especially as an amateur, I should say, amateur as I should say, is having to be in a studio like that and have somebody telling me, okay, you can only talk for eight minutes and then you have to stop and do two minutes of commercials. And then you're going to talk for six minutes and then do three minutes of commercials. And you're going to, that would drive me completely batty. I could never even imagine doing that now. All we oh, do and you never, you never get to the meet and your guest is always feeling like they're rushed. I mean, yeah. there is no way I can explain this book in the manner I've been explaining it tonight yeah. in a three minute clip. I mean, no. it just, it's like, Oh, this guy's insane. Or yeah. But over a, over a two hour period, they're getting an idea of where I'm coming from, where your other guests are coming from yeah. and what your point of view is in relation to that. You don't get that in three or 10 minutes. You get that over 60 to 120 minutes. Exactly. Yeah. Or you got to deal with listener calls. Like that part that of the show. Gets, that stuff just gets good. Every once too. in a while, you get someone that calls in that you're like, oh, that was kind of cool. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. But the majority, and what it, the hell are you asking? Well, I mean. And then it takes the host to like steer the question in some like comprehensible yeah, form. I, 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 I think eh. that's, the, and that just goes back to that. You're, you know, of course, in long form conversations, yeah, you go into the weeds sometimes, you sideline, you do things, but you go, you, you know, you keep it on track and that's fine. I think, yeah, we're talking about those other arenas. And, you know, here's the thing. I want to be clear about this, too. You know, terrestrial radio and, and, and radio shows that are on a clock like that, that's perfectly fine. I think it's fantastic. There's some stuff that I listen to. I, you know, I still listen to Coast to Coast, yeah, yeah, and I still and hear great. great guests and um, all that. But I just don't, I think where we are now, what we're, you know, I'm not saying we're not any better, but I, and there's thousands of shows like our show now. It's fantastic. And the long form discussion we're talking about, that to me is way more interesting. And Lee, yeah, exactly. Because if we could have just came here and done a three minute little vignette with you, right? And had you talk about a couple of brief things and that would have never really 
got we like you said it we wouldn't have gotten to any meat here and people may have just been like oh well this is ridiculous you know three minutes we heard that this guy is completely crazy without really getting into the meat of it like we keep saying getting into the meat and talking about what this stuff is and understanding what the arguments are right absolutely and and the argument is leading towards a moment and i and i talk about that in the last chapter of the Mm -hmm. book we all we all know who uh elon musk is oh yeah guy with tesla well he's also involved in the singularity and and if the listener doesn't know what the singularity is that basically is when man is able to upload his consciousness into a machine and i don't know if you guys are familiar with ray kurzweil oh yeah but he's He's the godfather of the singularity, and his idea is that one day he's going to upload his mind into a machine, and then that's going to be transferred to an avatar, and he he will become an eternal being. And that is really where all of this, I believe, is going. Man is trying to figure out some way to become a an eternal being without having to go through the Ancient of Days. And there's even a transhumanist candidate that was running for president. So it's there. And, and you see it in the movies. Uh, there was a movie called Upgrade that just came out a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had uh, Alita, Battlestar Angel, another example, Lucy, uh, Ex Machina. And by the way, that's the same director. Alex Garland. I, yep. Annihilation. Yes. Same guy. And, yep. and, I, and I've got that one right by my feet. Yeah, those next to my desk. Ex Machina is one of my movie. favorite movies. It's a great movie. But again, it's about the singularity, man becoming eternal apart from the ancient of days. Well, Black Mirror is another show um, that deals with this the singularity a lot, and it's presented in a lot of different ways. If you haven't seen that yet, that 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 series yet, it's on Netflix. If you haven't seen that yet, yeah. I highly recommend that because it directly ties into a lot of these ideas with the singularity and how it can be dealt with, you know, different scenarios of how the singularity would be dealt with being, being, you know, having your consciousness uploaded to some, some mainframe somewhere and living your life out that way, right? Your, your consciousness is eternal. Your body obviously isn't, but your consciousness lives on forever. And that's what black mirror deals with a lot of that stuff. Um, Wow. And it is interesting they call it Black Mirror because in the book, I really go down the rabbit hole in the last chapter, and I talk about Black Goo. Okay. And, and I and I talk about uh, this this chip that I think is going to be a game changer because the whole idea is uploading your mind into a machine. But what if you could have a chip implanted in your hand? that actually changed your systemic DNA. There was a commercial by uh, Verizon a couple years ago where it talked about upgrading your DNA. What if you could have your DNA change from a double helix to a triple helix and become eternal? What if it's an inside (laughs) job? What if you don't have to upload your mind? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's another way of looking at it, I guess. And you know, and as we know, there's a lot of people right there with that very idea that are violently opposed to that idea, of the idea of being chipped. Uh, I don't know how to take that. Uh, but you're saying that that would, I mean, that would, with the triple helix DNA strand we're talking about, this chip, I mean, if you were to be chipped, it would, it would more or less restructure your DNA, correct? 
Correct. Again, the difference between a double helix DNA and a triple helix DNA, mm-hmm. we all have a double helix DNA. Yeah. We're 666. If you have a triple helix DNA, according to Morningstar Lucifer, yeah. he is saying that you can then become an eternal being and be able to transcend all of the other nine dimensions or multiverses, the ten multiverses of this multiverse. So that's the whole idea. Yeah. You can either uh, be implanted with uh, Lucifer's uh, game changer, or you can follow the Ancient of Days and his game changer. Yeah. It's a choice. It's a choice. That's what he presents to you in the book. It's a choice. Wow. It's always a choice. Lee, we can't thank you enough for having this conversation with us. I knew this was going to be, these were going to be some different ideas that we've never talked about on this show, honestly, uh, in a lot of years. And I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to us about this. And I personally, yeah, I, I'm going to read this book. I want to read your book. I think it's, I think it's something I just want to check out. I don't, I'm not saying that I agree with everything. Uh, and that's what kind of makes things interesting. Well, I yeah, think. and I don't, I don't even think the point of what Lee was saying tonight is that you have to agree no, with anything. No. But like, I, it, it, I get you thinking. Well, yeah, and as I was like making my notes about yeah. your, your, you know, spoon-fed reality. Yeah, I think we all have to question our spoon-fed reality at all times, no matter what. Yeah. So, Lee, thank you so much for taking the time again to speak to us about Morningstar's Tale. Uh, where, where's it available at? You can pick it up at uh, Amazon. Or Barnes and Noble, and again, it's T A L E. It's kind of a play on words. Morning Stars, T A L E. Mm-hmm. You can also go to my website, which is MorningStarsTale.com, mm-hmm. and uh, that'll take you to the publisher. You can buy it that way too. Uh, Scott, Amber, I really appreciate. You know, I love the fact that so many people are just open to having a discussion. The, the fact that four years ago I thought there were only heaven, three heavens. And now I believe there's 10. Mm-hmm. It shows that we can all move and, 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 and incorporate beliefs we never had yeah. if we're willing to just do the footwork and, you know, like the, the Oracle says, make up your own damn mind. That's what I love about this book and this conversation. Ghostly Talk! <laughs>